Welcome to the OCR Underground Show. Each week, you get the latest research, training secrets of top coaches, and everything you need to crush your next obstacle course race and finish burpee-free. Here's your host, SGX coach, Mike Diebler. All right, well, welcome to episode 53 of the OCR Underground Show, your top resource for smarter OCR training. I am Mike Diebler, and as always, thank you so much for joining me. If you want to check out the show notes for this episode, you can head on over to www.ocrunderground.com slash episode dash 53. Well, summertime is just about over, but we still have a lot of races left this year, and my goal is to keep providing you guys with some awesome resources and tips and strategies to help you finish this year strong. Uh, I know for me, it's a little break now. I don't have a race for a couple more months, but that's given me some time to really concentrate on on my training. And now with the kids back in school, just schedules changing and trying to figure all that out, but hoping that won't get in my way of putting out some great podcasts and other other content for you guys. But let's, let's jump right into uh, this episode. Uh, to start up, we're going to go into, into Mike's mind, and I'm going to talk about a recent post I did about finding your why and really helping you dig into why are you doing what you're doing for your training and really hopefully give you some insight into developing a smarter plan for yourself. Uh, I'm going to dig into some really cool research on caffeine and how it is a performance enhancement, but it also could uh, have negative effects on performance based on your genetics, which is really cool stuff. And then finally, in our coaches interview, I have on Joseph Bautista with Fusion Fit Training, and we're actually going to talk all about unconventional training for an unconventional sport. So let's dive right into this week's episode. All right, we're going to get started with the Inside Mike's Mind segment of the podcast where I just talk about different subjects that are just floating around in my head and sometimes they're just big brain dumps that I can get some stuff out there. Hopefully some of these things make sense for you and, and really help you along in this training process. But uh, as I mentioned, I want to talk about really finding the why. And I, I know many people have probably read the Simon Sinek book, Start With Why, and it's really referring more to in a business sense and marketing, really understanding the purpose of your business so you can communicate that that why with your customers to build a community around you and and it's a great business book but I think we can dig a lot deeper than just business when we have that concept of, of purpose and really you know we can go in a million different directions but if we're going to talk just about your training and and smarter training for uh, for your race or for your health or whatever it might be I think this is something that we really need to spend some time talking about and really understanding well what is what is the purpose? What is the why behind what you are specifically doing, right? So if you're trying to be a better runner, running makes sense, right? We understand the purpose behind that. Um, but sometimes when we find cool workouts online, uh, we are just stealing maybe from somebody else's why, and it really doesn't fit what, with what we're trying to do. Maybe we get lucky and it is, but it's really important to understand, well, what am I specifically working on now? So this could be... Um, a broader sense of, like I said, running, or what is the purpose behind a workout that I'm trying to do right now? So if I'm going to do some strength training and my goal is to get stronger, everything I select in that workout should have some aspect of that purpose behind it. So I'm going to focus on things that'll get me stronger, not necessarily things that are just trying to, to kick my butt. 
And a lot of times I think people confuse that of, I'm just going to get my ass kicked right now. And that must have a good result associated with it. And don't get me wrong. Sometimes the purpose is we need to get our, our butt kicked and we, we need a tough workout just to get us mentally set and and really get us used to being uncomfortable. So I, there is a purpose to having a really hard workout, but I think we can be smart about it and really understand why am I doing this, right? So like I said, if, if my goal is to build my endurance right now and I need to put some uh, put some miles in, then I know the purpose of this run is to get some miles in, which means maybe I need to go a little bit lower intensity so I can add more miles. Because if I just go all out right now, I'm not going to make it very far. And that's not helping me with my overall purpose. So really asking yourself, well, what is my number one goal? What is my priority in this workout that I'm going to do today? Um, and I think that's a great way to start start your day. Wake up in the morning if, if that's the first thing you want to think of, or at least to start your workout when you're warming up. What's my goal for today? What do I want to accomplish? Let me make sure everything I'm going to do reflects that goal. I think we can break this down even further. And I, I wrote a, a blog post and post some uh, pictures and videos of a recent workout I did. And my goal when I post workouts, you know, it's to inspire, it's to give you some ideas on new things that you could be doing, you know, like, like I always say, smarter ways to train. But I also sometimes have to be careful because I don't want to just throw a bunch of exercises out there and have it maybe not be appropriate at all for you to try. Um, and so when I when I show an exercise or when I show a workout, I want to make sure that I'm explaining, well, this is why I'm doing this. And sometimes I will explain this is why because of specific reasons that I'm dealing with. And this is why I choose these exercises or I work with a lot of clients and I know here are common issues that I see come up and here are some exercises that I might recommend to deal with those issues. So uh, always trying to give a purpose there. So uh, in, the, in the blog that I uh, wrote recently, and I'll, I'll put a link to it in the show notes so you can see the uh, exercises that I'm talking about, but I think for the most part, they're pretty straightforward. Uh, I did a, a little workout finisher, and I know when we hear a workout finisher, a lot of times we think, well, this is going to be a crazy workout. You're just going to be in a you know, pool full of sweat and throwing up, and yeah, sometimes that happens, but when I did this one, it, it was hard. It got my heart rate up, and I saw that through my, my heart rate monitor, um, but it was more because it was picking things that I specifically needed work on. So I picked three exercises and just did a short little interval circuit with those three exercises. And they were, I did an overhead squat to a medicine ball. I did kettlebell swings using a towel grip and I did jump rope using an alternating step jump. And uh, in, in the blog post, uh, I explain more uh, into why I chose each of these exercises, but quickly I can uh, kind of give a reason behind each exercise. So the first one was simple. Squatting is something I've always been, uh, I'm taller, I have very long legs, and I'm not a great squatter. So it's something I'm, uh, it's my weakness and it's something I'm always trying to work on. So I picked, I did at the end of the workout when I was fatigued, um, I did body weight because I really wanted to focus with it, and I did an overhead squat. Uh, to a ball, one, because I want to make sure I was getting the same depth that I knew I could appropriately get each rep, and overhead because I know I have a tendency to lean a little bit too far forward uh, because of my frame, because of tighter ankles, and that's the way I, when I'm lazy, I start to squat, but when I have my hands extended overhead, one, I can work on my upper back and really pulling back, so it's working on my weakness there, but it's just a nice reminder. I can easily tell when I'm doing it the way I'm not supposed to be doing it. So uh, that's why I chose that specific exercise. Um, I did the kettlebell swings, one, because it was I want to get a little conditioning in there. So it was to get my, my heart rate up. 
I picked the towel grip because one, it is, and if you haven't seen this before, again, check out the video in the show notes, but it's just using a towel to hold on to the kettlebell instead of grabbing the kettlebell directly. Uh, so one, I, I get a little bit of grip challenge there, but also number two, it keeps you honest with this exercise because you can't just muscle your way through it with the upper body and, and pull with the arms. You really have to learn how to use, uh, to show that the kettlebell is just an extension of your force and the, the force is being generated from the hips. And then you're going to swing it up by holding onto the towel. So as I'm fatiguing, um, I, I, I can't get lazy and I have to stick with proper technique and proper form. So that was kind of my check and the reason why I chose that exercise. And then my final exercise of the jump rope using that alternating step, kind of like I'm running is I've, I've just noticed I've been getting a little bit lazy in my running where um, I'm not really recovering as quickly as I want to, where I'm not pulling my heel up off the floor um, and getting it uh, back through to that swing phase uh, and pushing behind me a little bit too far. So with the jump rope, if you don't get your foot right up to your butt, you're gonna keep getting tripped up. So it's just a nice way to remind myself to recover as quickly as I can. So I just put that into a little circuit, uh, got myself tired, but also had a specific purpose to each exercise. So it wasn't the type of finisher where I was gonna do a ton of burpees, um, a ton of really you know sled pushes or, or just things to get me super out of breath, uh, elevated heart rate, although my heart rate did get up and I did get out of breath, it had a, a, a bigger meaning behind it. So. What I want to leave this uh, with you, this segment, is just really understand, look at all the exercises that you're doing in your program for that day or for today, and really look at why am I doing each one? Do I really need this? Do I understand why I'm doing this? Uh, maybe I want to take it out until I really know why I needed that exercise. Was I doing it because it looked cool? And sure, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I work on something because I, I think this would be a cool skill to have, not necessarily because it's going to help with a performance. Maybe it will, maybe it won't, but it's something that I just feel I want to work on. Maybe you want to get better at doing handstands. Um, sure, there, you can argue there's benefits to that. Is it completely necessary um, for OCR training? I, I don't know that it is, but I think it's a cool skill that you kind of one of those things you should be able to do it. And if you can, it's something to work on. Um, so, but again, there's purpose behind it, not just because I want to do this because it's going to make me sweat and make me hurt. Um, so uh, look at your program and just really understand why am I doing the ex these exercises that I selected? Do I understand it? And track it. Is it helping me get better at what I think it's supposed to be helping me with? And that way, you know, as I uh, putting together a good program, seeing the benefits from it, or was I just working out and just trying to break a sweat? So um, hopefully you can understand the difference between uh, having a program and just working out. Uh, but uh, if you have any questions or need help or um, really just want to understand this topic better, as always, uh, reach out to me and I'd be happy to help you really understand why you might be uh, including certain exercises over others. All right, well, it's time to get into our research review, and I'm going to give a little warning with this topic. So we're going to talk a little bit about genetics, which I have to admit I've been getting just super interested in lately, and I think it's a really cool topic. More and more information is coming out about it, but it's still super new. Uh, there's a ton of stuff we don't know about genetics, and specifically how it relates to performance and nutrition and things like that, but I think it's something we're learning more information. So um, I'm not sure how this is going to go. I'm hoping I can explain this to the best of my ability, but like I said, I'm constantly learning new things on this, but I wanted to just share this study because I thought it was such a cool thing. So hopefully it all makes sense. Um, 
We're going to nerd out a little bit, have to get into a little bit of background about genetics and all that fun stuff. So hopefully it all makes sense. But if nothing else, I'll leave you with some simple takeaways that you can get from this study. Um, so this was from uh, August of this year, 2018, uh, the Journal of Medicine and Science and Sport and Exercise. And basically they want to look at caffeine and its effects on endurance performance, specifically with uh, certain genetics. And it's been known for years that that caffeine is a performance enhancer, right? It's been used repeatedly by endurance, specifically endurance athletes, but also other athletes as well. Um, it's been shown to do things like decrease perceived exertion, increase fat utilization, decrease uh, time to fatigue, and, and all sorts of things that we would want when training for an endurance performance. But there's an interesting thing when you look at a lot of these studies that show this uh, improvement. While uh, they'll show overall there was significant improvements with test subjects, when you actually look at each individual subject in some of these trials, you'll see a huge variation. Uh, for example, one study showed the difference between a 5 and 87% increase in performance with the use of caffeine. So that's that's a huge variance. You know, so yes, everyone got better, but why some only a little bit and some more? Uh, another showed an increase from 10 to 156%. So these are just huge ranges. Uh, and actually, some studies will actually show that people get worse with caffeine, but there are enough that got better so they can say overall this helped the majority. And that's the hard thing when we look at studies because they don't always tell, unless you read the exact study, they don't always tell what happened to each person. They just say, well, in general, this is what happened. Right? It's like looking at body mass index. I, I think many will agree it's not a great indicator of, of health and, and body composition. But when you look at studies looking at a whole population, BMI is kind of dead on and it'll tell who, uh, who, what populations are at the greatest risk for things like metabolic disease and heart risk and heart disease and things like that. But on an individual level, it's not the great number, uh, the best number to look at. So Hopefully that makes sense when we're when we're talking about something like like studies when we see these variations here. So obviously we're all different. So it's safe to say that well can this difference be uh, be coming from genetics? And I think it's safe to say there's probably lots of reasons why there's differences in in uh, some of these study numbers, like how well certain people complied to what they were trying to do and and so on. But we have to admit that genetics is going to play some role in how certain people respond to different stimulus, whether it's training, food, ergogenic aids, supplements, whatever it might be. So um, I, I don't know, I just find this really interesting to know that maybe there are things we can tweak that will specifically work better for us. So uh, there are some things we need to know. So I'm going to do my best to keep this as simple as possible, but we do need to understand genetics a little bit for this whole study to really make sense. Um, so if we look, uh, you know, I'm sure you've heard of genes, but our genes, which are made up of DNA, essentially write coding uh, that makes us unique. And they write coding for uh, to build different things like proteins. And these proteins and uh, might build enzymes and things like that. So these different, um, think of them as recipes, will make something. So when we look at a recipe for like uh, apple pie, there are are different little tweaks in that recipe that you can do to still make an apple pie, right? So that's why when we look at our genetics, they're all very similar, one person to the next, although we're all very unique. Some have brown hair, blonde hair, curly hair, straight hair, things like that. This is due to when, you know, we get things passed down from our parents, um, we get 
different little pieces of this recipe. And these are, when we look at DNA, this is, they're called nucleotides. And these are the base pairing of our DNA. And you'll see things, often they're, they'll just be letters when you look at pictures and things like that. But uh, the base pair, or the basing nucleotide might be cytosine or thiamine, uh, which is usually a C, or thiamine, which is a T, uh, adenosine, which is an A, uh, guanine, which is a G. So uh, that's where all these different letters come in. So the code for, you know, straight hair might be, and I don't know what it is, but, you know, a certain pairing of, of those different nucleotides. And then for straight hair might be this and blue eyes and uh, brown eyes and, and whatever it might be. So this is where we get these differences here. And they call these um, different sequencing of, of DNA, they're called SNPs. S-N-P, or SNPs is how it's uh, pronounced for short. So this may make no sense at all, but when we look at DNA, this is how we can tell, you know, the more SNPs you have in common with somebody, the more likely you are related to that person. So that's where we can see like your your parents and how, how closely related somebody is. Or maybe it's a cousin where there's more variation, but there's still a lot of similarities there. Now we have uh, our, our different genes that will make different things, and we're going to focus on enzymes here because uh, that's what the study looked at. So we have a, a specific gene that will make a specific enzyme, and we have different uh, SNPs in that gene that make that enzyme a little bit differently. So some it might work better for some than, than others. So you still have that enzymes, but how it performs is going to different person to person. So let's let's maybe, hopefully that made sense, but let's get into the, the study and maybe that'll make even more sense of this. So when we look at caffeine, caffeine is metabolized almost 100% by a specific enzyme. This is the CYP1A2. Uh, don't worry, there's no test. You're not going to have to remember that. But just know there's a specific enzyme. That's the name. They came up with it. You might have heard things like um, uh, people. some people are fast metabolizers of caffeine. Other people are slow metabolizers. And this that's the enzyme that they're specifically looking at. Now, that enzyme is made from a gene, which is, um, surprise, surprise, CYP1A2 gene. So... There is specific SNPs in that gene, so um, that will look at how if somebody is a fast or a slow metabolizer. So when we look at, I mentioned those nucleotides earlier, they can look at this specific SNP, or just think of it as this piece of coding, and they see on this on this one SNP, somebody might have the pairing of AC or CC, and those are just the 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 letters associated with the nucleotides that I mentioned earlier, and, and you don't have to worry about those. Again, no test on this, but that's what they would typically classify as a slow metabolizer of caffeine. Or you might have somebody that is has a pairing of AA, and these are going to be those that are fast metabolizers. So what they did in this study was they took a, a group of people and they did their genetic testing so they can find out what pairing that they had at this specific uh, particular spot in their DNA and um, it actually was a pretty uh, even split of these three the AC CC and AA which made it nice for this study then they had them do time trials and they had them do it four different times or excuse me three different times uh, the first time was with a placebo with no caffeine at all they just drank something uh, before they they did their time trial which was a 10 kilometer bike um, then they had them do, uh, with a low dose of caffeine, which was two micro, uh, milligrams per kilogram of body weight. And then they had 
them do it under moderate uh, dosing of caffeine, which was four milligrams uh, per body uh, per kilogram of body weight. So these were the different um, uh, the different uh, time trials that they had to do, and then they looked at well, how did the performance go? So when we look at the total numbers, so when we just say okay, we gave a bunch of people caffeine, we had them do a ten kilometer time trial, how did they do? Well, they actually found that they saw a three percent increase in performance based off of that caffeine um, uh, dosage. So, uh, which when we just look at that, we'd say, okay, so it's not huge, but there was an increase in performance with, with caffeine usage. But when they broke it down to specific genotypes or, or these pairings, they found that those that were the fast metabolizers so that had that AA pairing actually saw a 5% improvement in time um, with the low dosage and a 7% percent improvement with the moderate dosage. So these people actually responded really well to having caffeine. On top of that, they also showed that their heart rate didn't change very much between uh, the, the different um, caffeine dosage versus the placebo, and their perceived exertion actually went down, which is awesome, right? So their heart rate didn't change a whole lot. They pushed harder. They uh, were able to go longer or, or go faster in that 10 kilometers and they didn't feel like they were working as hard even though they were improving in their time, which is exactly what we want out of a performance enhancement uh, supplement like, like caffeine. Um, when we look at the AC pairing, they saw actually no effect on caffeine here. So there was pretty much no change in the time trial at all. And then we looked at the CC pairing and they actually saw a 14% decrease with that moderate dosage and uh, and even and there was a decrease with the the low dosage as well not as much but i think that's pretty crazy a 14 percent decrease which when we look at all these numbers that's why we see there was just a slight improvement because we had so many people um, that actually got worse uh, their time it took them longer to bike 10 kilometers when they were on caffeine not only that their their rating of perceived exertion how hard they felt they were going went up and their heart rate actually elevated as well. So some bad things happened when they were on caffeine. So what can we make of all of this? I think the big thing to, to realize is there is no one-size-fits-all program. That The tips I give, the tips that other coaches give, we're all giving general recommendations, but it's this is a complicated subject, and I hope I didn't just confuse everybody by, by trying to explain it, but it's it's just interesting to see that we do respond differently. And I think the takeaway is, one, absolutely, you can go to you know something like 23andMe and uh, have testing done and see you know all these different things. And they'll give you their, uh, their findings, but they also, it's really cool, we've only coded such a small percentage of our DNA and our genes that there's so much more that's gonna be discovered. So they actually give you the raw data too, whereas we learn more things you can check and that's exactly what I did for this study. Um, I knew I was a fast metabolizer, but I wanted to see. I looked at the exact SNP that they used in this study to see what my pairing was. And in fact, it was an AA. So uh, this uh, reinforces things I've already been doing. Using caffeine to enhance performance is something that I have had success in the past. So this really just confirms it. But it at least helps so you're not blindly following things. Like we've heard caffeine is, is an ergogenic aid, but what if when you take it, it's actually making you feel worse? And maybe it's one of those things where you've noticed you don't feel great after having coffee or, or an energy drink or something like that, but you just kind of made the assumption, well, I'm supposed to do this because it's it's going to help me, right? So one, you can get 
your genetic testing done to see how these different things might influence you specifically. If not, really pay close attention to how things make you feel. A lot of trial and error, test things out. So you know if something doesn't feel good, even if it's helping every single other person you know, but you feel worse when you do it, that's telling you something, that you probably aren't benefiting from whatever that supplement, food, training style, whatever it might be is. Um, so you experiment, play around with this and, and see, uh, but it's lots of testing. This is a lot of work, but I think the more you pay attention to how you respond to different training styles, to different food, diet plans, supplements, all these things is really going to go a long way. So you're not just wasting your money on things that aren't helping you at all, or maybe actually making you feel worse, um, or, or focusing your efforts on the things that will specifically benefit you. So Obviously, we can't just say, you know, you have this gene, you should only eat these foods or do these things. But I think we're learning more information that are at least giving us some help and that will influence us better or, or worse. So it's definitely something to, to look into. You know, I, I did do the 23andMe, like I mentioned, and I think it gives you some cool information about your health risks and um, things that might help with performance. Um, you know, they're I'm not, you know, affiliated with 23andMe. I just think it's something cool. I'm interested in it. Something if you want to pursue it further. But if nothing else, just make sure you're doing some some trial and error to figure out what's what's going on, what's helping you specifically. If uh, if you like this topic and want to learn more about it, uh, there is a book by Dr. Ben Lynch called Dirty Genes that does get into some of these snips and. Um, uh, polymorphisms that that have taken place and have you know some people that do better in certain diets or exercise programs so that's a, a nice resource uh, and there's also a free ebook put out by precision nutrition that really takes an unbiased look at uh, all the research out there on what's going on with with genetics and how it can influence diet exercise things like that and um, and I think the bottom line is there's still a lot of unknowns but we're getting some great info so it's something uh, I think it's worth looking into to really dial in your own training, your own nutrition, and just be a little bit smarter about the things that you, you do. Well, you may not believe this, but I'm actually working out right now as I'm doing this podcast. And I'm actually using one of the sponsors of this show, my Handmaster Plus. So Handmaster Plus is an awesome grip hand strength, forearm strength, training tool, plus a rehab tool um, that uses not only the muscles that close your hand like you would see with a stress ball, but actually attaching bands to it so you can open your grip to create better balance in those muscles that, that control grip. So awesome tool for preventing things like uh, tennis elbow or other elbow injuries, wrist injuries, um, but just really uh, dialing in that grip strength so you can you can crush some of those grip obstacles so uh, check out their their product really cool they have different resistance levels um, at handmasterplus.com and when you're done with that killer workout you're going to want to uh, finish it off with a, a delicious protein shake uh, from designer protein one of our other sponsors of this show uh, and check out their totally egg protein powder which is just using uh, egg protein uh, it's pretty good for you but also delicious um, you can check out all of their protein products though at designerprotein.com and don't forget you do get uh, 20% off just for listening to this show use code sdpremier20 to take advantage of that all right guys we are in our coach's interview and i actually have a, a return guest a, uh, a for the third time actually so i have on sgx coach joseph bautista with fusion fit training in norcal 
And uh, he has been on a couple different uh, episodes where last one we actually talked more about uh, kids sports and kind of using OCR to get kids more involved in sports and building their their uh, confidence and just getting them into fitness and, and moving uh, without maybe going the traditional sport route. And then actually in our first interview, we talked more about program design, uh, simple ways to uh, manage and program your endurance training. And, and actually we talked a lot about signs of overtraining and, and things you can do about that. So we're having uh, Joseph on again. Uh, how are you doing today, man? Man, well, I'm glad to be back, Mike. Love working with the OCR Underground and just dropping down tons of Spartan bombs with these guys. Awesome, awesome. Well, always happy to have you back. And uh, we have another great topic uh, that we're going to talk about. And it's something you actually approached me about that I loved and wanted to get you right on here. And we're going to talk about unconventional training for an unconventional sport. Um, first, before we get into the specifics, what sparked your interest about this particular topic? You know, uh, I love the sandbag. And one of the things, and this really comes as far as an unconventional training, uh, is the sandbag helps you with a variable resistance that allows you to really feel what the weight is going on with your body. I mean, sometimes when we go into these training aspects, we deal with rigid weight. But when you take something that's just dynamic, it, it gets you in tune with your body rather than just saying, hey, I've got weight in front of me. Exactly. And, you know, we're, we're going to dive deep into to sandbag training. But um, one of the th that point that you just brought up about dynamic resistance is really important. And that may not make sense, if, especially if you've never worked with a bag or maybe just you have, but haven't heard of that term before. Um, you know, it's, it's great to have fixed resistance where you have a cable machine or, or a dumbbell or a kettlebell where, you know, it's a specific weight and you move that weight. But we know for training for a sport like this, and just everyday life, things move and you need to be able to react to that. And I think that's such a critical component to your program where you need to be able to lift something and it might move in your hand or it might uh, change the way your body is going to position and now you have to react to something like that. And, it, and that's essentially what it is. It's a, a reactive form of training, which I absolutely love because you're never quite sure what exactly is going to happen until you do it and now you adjust to it. And that's, you know, that's, that's training for everyday life, not just sports, which you kind of get a double bonus there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm going to relate this directly to Spartan racing. You know, if you've gotten a chance to do your own Spartan race and it doesn't matter which length we have a few of the, the exercises in there, I'm sorry, obstacles in there, like the Herc hoist, that's what sandbags, you know, mm -hmm. you have the actual sandbag carry, there's a sandbag. And then you have the bucket carry, which are now, if you've been to a few of some of the races, they're pre-filled. Well, guess what? If you're moving that bucket around, you have a variable resistance that's adjusting on you. So essentially, using a tool like the sandbag gives you that reactive skill so that way you can react to what is right in front of you rather than just hope it's supposed to feel the same. Because all the time, these obstacles never feel the same. Mm -hmm. The terrain changes it, the weather changes it, the people around you, what you had to eat the night before that morning, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, whether it, whether you're like thinking about what, how the fight you had last week, the, the due date of a, pro, uh, of a product that's coming up, you know, there's a lot of variables in there that are not just the weight alone and they can kind of affect that. They can 
and being able to re relax to it, a tool that tells you that gives you that leverage, that edge. Exactly. And I, I love tools that give you feedback. Um, and it, it enhances learning, right? It, we, we can do an exercise better when something is giving us some kind of information. And, you know, to a degree, you can get that with traditional pieces of equipment. But I think something like a sandbag, it almost sometimes forces you to do something the way that you're supposed to do it, or you're going to start to to move your body in a way that you have to in order to do it using a weight like a, like a sandbag. So uh, that idea of feedback, I think, is really important, too, where you just... Um, you, you, you have something giving you information and now you're going to produce an output, which is a squat, a lunge, a, a push, a pull, whatever it might be with that bag. So another great, great benefit to it. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, before we go any further, I do want to give a big shout out. Uh, my main instructors are Josh Hankin and Jessica Bento of the DVRT system. And I'm a DVRT level two coach. So before we go any further, I want to let you guys know that all of, a lot of these methods in the sandbag training comes from the DVRT philosophy of just getting people to move better. Because when you move better, you can perform better. And when you perform better, your athletic development has less deficiencies and the potential of injury. Oh, absolutely. And, and that's a great shot. And one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, you know, what brand, because there are lots of different sandbags out, out there. And um you know, glad, and, and they're all great, and they, they have their advantages and disadvantages for sure, but um, I'm happy that you mentioned DVRT because that's a brand that I use with my clients and myself, um, and for a lot of reasons, but I think the main thing is, while sandbags are similar, the, the education behind certain piece of equipment, I think, can really set them apart, and, and, Josh, and Josh and Jessica do an amazing job with that, and I've actually gotten to see them present at perform better and, and different conferences out there and they do an amazing job and to see what you can do uh, with that bag is really cool whether you're just getting started or you're pretty advanced um, and how you know they they tell their personal story how they've had injuries and all of these major major like back issues and neck issues and all of these crazy things that they were recovering from and now you see them train with a sandbag like nothing ever was wrong with them and it's it's pretty amazing because of what they've learned about sandbags and that it's not just a bag, it's this whole system that they, they teach people, which is really, really cool. So I'm um, glad you brought them up. I actually got to meet them at a party in Vegas one time, which was pretty cool. Um, so I got to talk to them for a while, which, which was uh, really awesome. They were presenting at Idea, the Idea Conference last year. So I got to talk to them for a while, which was, was cool. Um, but uh, so, like I said, glad that you brought that up. I will for sure put some links to, uh, to their program if I know if there's other coaches listening to this and they want to check out their educational system or just, you know, uh, check out their products and, and some of the things that they, they recommend there. So, um, so awesome that you bring that up. So what first got you involved with sandbag training? And was it with DVRT? Is that kind of your intro to it or what, what brought about this? You know, actually, uh, the sandbag training came in just because I've seen many things about just the sandbag. And, you know, after doing my first couple of Spartan races, you know, we experienced the pancakes. And then we had those really long sandbags where they give us the really, uh, those really cheap sandbags, the white ones yeah, that yeah. they just fill, refilled. Like, and you kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you kind of start to play with, you using those in the obstacles and you realize, you know, this feels a lot different. So there's a lot going on here that I'm unaware of. And then 
down the line, Mike, uh, see, my, my original uh, claim to development was actually kettlebells. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, okay, you know, I'm feeling pretty limited here. I've expanded as far as I can without any proper coaching beyond what I've already learned into development. And I know there's more involved. And then I kind of stumbled upon DVRT. And I actually ran into Josh Hankin. He took a spot uh, through a program called FitRanks. They did the FitRanks World Conference, and he actually took my my speaking spot. I got trumped. (laughs) (laughs) He took my speaking spot, and I got a chance to go through his presentation, and I just I fell in love with the dynamics of DVRT. And I said, okay, since you took my spot, you owe me a, a seminar. And he's like, name it. And so we scheduled it out, brought them out. We had a really great group, two days, uh, the level one and level two, and a brief touch into the uh, restoration. So these are are three great programs through DVRT. And, man, just learned so much more about my body and how it can move. And I had done my own personal development with my knee, and I actually dislocated my knee about five years ago. And – uh, after that dislocation, I almost felt like there was there was no, how can I get better and wh- am I still going to be able to continue to do this and how can people want to still work with me if I'm always injured? And this actually excelled my ability and I started racing faster, training less frequently but more efficiently and with a larger amount of intent rather than just intensity. And I just learned about how to give my body more feedback rather than just give it load. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and, and I want to get into some of the specifics on what you're doing with the bag. Uh, but I have to say that's, that's pretty awesome that he took your spot. And uh, I'm sure that was an easy way to hold a grudge. But you, you were open-minded. You listened to him. I'm sure he put on a great talk. And, you know, you, you got to grow from it, which is, which is awesome. Well, I kind of figured out. Uh, I mean, I didn't figure out. I learned right then and there why he was, why I got trumped. He, he, I, yeah. Josh, Josh and Jessica have a great program, and the DVRT system is it is sound. I was just preventing. I was just presenting how to uh, how to teach a beginner how to use a kettlebell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he yeah. was showing me how to actually move. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure yours would have been awesome too, but it, it's cool you got exposed to it and got to check it out. And this is not an advertisement for DVRT, although maybe I'll reach out and see if they want to uh, sponsor the show and send me some more bags. It would always be great, but, um, let's go. So there are different brands out there and, and most of the, the stuff we're going to be talking about, you can use different style of bags. So I don't want to get too caught up on these particular types of, of training bags. Um, yeah. so, but let's, let's get into a little bit of the training side of this. So using the sandbags, one, one reason I love the sandbags is because they're so versatile and there's so much we can do with them. So what are your kind of go-tos? Let's start there. Like, what are the big things you're using the sandbags for? Like, well, one of the main things that we do with the sandbag is we want to engage the hinge. Uh, any movement like the deadlift, uh, anything forcing you to bend forward. And that's, like, really important in overall training because a lot of our posterior chain, and that's the back, the rear deltoid, the uh, you know the spinal column leading towards the glutes, the piriformis, and that these are just some uh, some ge- uh, some uh, scientific terminology. But anything in the back of our body tends to be long, underactive, and in some areas weak. And we don't do a lot of movements to turn them on. 
you know, we, we tend to stay more prone and that's everything in front of us and our face or, or some lateral, which is moving from side to side. We don't work that posterior chain, right? And when we don't work that posterior chain, these larger muscles in our back, when they do take over, they can produce a lot of force. They can generate a lot of power and they can provide an overcompensation of, of stability compared to the front of our body, right? Because these are large muscles. But if we don't turn them on or at least let them know how much they need to turn on when it's the time given, then, then they, they end up overcompensating to degrees that we see injuries like torn meniscus and you know PCL, and that's the uh, the uh, posterior crucial ligament. You know the the uh, arterial crucial ligament. Anything in that knee socket when there's a lot of jarring in the glutes and the hamstrings. Oh my goodness! You know it, those are those are just debilitating. And then we talk about running, which has a lot of posterior chain, like calves, hamstrings glutes you know these are big big components in running right mm -hmm. and then we talk about the upper body but not just you know on uh, on hangs we we, we usually correlate the upper body work for hangs but sometimes our own body weight is too much weight to start off even intermediates have a challenge with their own up, uh, upper body upper body weight with the posterior chain, like with lat pull downs or um, with any pull-ups, right? If you use close to the same weight of you, it's, it's very challenging. And that comes with having a connective response to that posterior chain. So we do a lot of the hinge. And if you come to Fusion Fit sometime and you could take our, D, uh, I'm sorry, our uh, Spartan SGX or our phase training, you're going to be doing a lot of hinges because almost everything that you do in any race has at one point the hinge. You go to pick up a bucket, you're hinging. You go to climb up a wall, there is going to be a hinge. You go to grab the uh, herc hoist and before you sit back or bend back, you're going to bend at the middle of your waist and there's a hinge. The hinge is just not a deadlift alone. So we do a lot of the hinge in, uh, in our training here with it, from the high pull to the clean to the snatch to just the deadlift alone. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, one thing you brought up that I, I want to touch on, and I know with me, you mentioned power training. And I, I do believe the sandbag is an awesome tool, um, one of the many things it can do, but to involve more power training into your program, to be more explosive where we're lifting something fairly heavy, um, and, but we're trying to do it as quickly as we can and explosively. So me personally, uh, Olympic lifting can, can be a very, or it is a very complex movement. Something like, you know, a clean, a power clean, hand clean, snatches, all of these things are difficult. They're difficult to learn and just, if not more difficult to teach somebody. And with myself, I might do a little bit of barbell Olympic lifting, but I've also, you know, had my fair share of injuries that when I you know, when I'm not careful, bad things happen. And I've learned with my clients that, especially if they're, they're training for a race or maybe just for general fitness, do they need to be doing like a barbell clean or, or some of these very high degree movements? And in, in my opinion, I just don't think they're necessary, but I like the movement, but the tool I, sometimes I think is doing more harm than good because they don't have the wrist mobility or shoulder mobility to get into a rack position or an overhead position or what it might be. So I started, you know, when I started learning about sandbags and playing around with them more, I like I noticed, hey, we can do a clean with a sandbag 
and they can either catch it. They don't even have to hold on to the handles. They can just kind of flip it up and catch it, drop it back down. Um, or even if they don't catch it perfectly and it lands on them a little bit harder than it should, it's a sandbag. You know, it's, it's not gonna, it, if anything, it teaches them, Hey, when this bag hits you, you need a brace, you need to be ready for it. And it's going to increase that core activation. So we started doing, uh, you know, for my, my racers and uh, my general population people that I work with, I mainly, if I'm going to do Olympic lifting, it's going to be with a sandbag, you know, other than maybe kettlebell swings and a few kettlebell exercises, but even those can be again, a little bit trickier to teach. And if I just want to get some good power work, and be safe about it, I feel really comfortable with, with sandbags. I don't know if you've experienced anything like that as well. Oh, totally. You know, uh, with Olympic lifting, the biggest problem with it is the bar is rigid. That rigidity is against your body's structure in the movement of the clean. You know, whether you do have the wrist mobility and the uh, shoulder flexibility, it is still an improper position for your body. If you go to take your hand and lift it up, your thumb is more naturally comfortable going straight up or face, uh, you know, in the same direction as your nose. Those are natural positions. But when you go to bring your palm facing in the same direction as your face, the further, I'm sorry, the closer you get to your face, the less your palm wants to stay forward, the more your thumb wants to turn in. Now, if you guys get a chance and listen to this, try that. Take your hand lift it up and keep trying to pull your hand to your face without moving your elbow. If you can bring that hand to your face, then you have a good amount of flexibility and mobility. But if you don't, which a lot of us will, then that's okay. You're normal and you can work through that normalcy and build strength with it. Then you start working more into the infrastructure of your strength rather than just the muscularity. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so I, I just think that's a, a great concept to bring up is, Hey, we can get some of these high degree lifts and I don't want to sound like I'm bashing barbell training or anything like that. It has its time and its place, but I think, uh, for our sport and, you know, for a lot of our listeners that are, you know, maybe not, they don't care as much about, Hey, what, how much can I power clean and snatch and all those things, but I want to get that movement down in a good workout. I just think this is a great, great alternative alternative. Um, well, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that you want to do, you know, unconventional fitness for an unconventional sport, you know, we don't do a lot of the same mimicked movements as there are in Olympic lifting. They, They just don't cross relate to each other. So therefore you're doing a conventional form of lifting, which is again, yes. And I agree with you not to be downplayed. Um, guys like Brian Shaw who do these Olympic style lifts for power, are doing a beautiful and amazing things and feats that we've rarely ever seen in our life, you know, breaking world records. However, that is the sport of what they do. And therefore that is what they should practice in that scope. And then you have CrossFit, which uses an over uh, excessive amount. And and I apologize for that choice of words, but to me that feels excessive uh, amount of these barbell cleans and these Olympic lifts um, to high degrees, uh, we do see a lot of injuries from that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, moving on a bit. So, okay. You talked about the hinge. We talked about power training. Uh, what are some other ways that you can implement a sandbag into a, a program? Well, I know I, I remember how you said that the person can do the clean and they, they almost have to brace themselves to catch the weight. Uh, you can catch it like on top of your biceps or on your knuckles. But what's beautiful about how you catch it is you end up learning 
how much control you actually need to establish a movement. When weight is rigid, you, you don't have a variable degree as far as how much is enough or how much is too much, right? Because the weight is not going to change no matter if you give too much or enough. The weight will always be the same. Mm-hmm. If you pull too much on the right in a sandbag, then the weight is going to shift to the side that didn't have as much pull. So you end up having to level your movements out and just a, just a movement like like even a press. Oh, you put uh, the sandbag on top of both knuckles and you go to a press straight up. Then, man, if your arm slips one degree forward or one degree left or one degree right, that's all that sand is moving too. So it teaches you how to prevent keeping the anterior deltoids, and that's the front of your shoulders, from doing the entire work on something as simple as the press. Yeah, and I, I love using that because just like you said, it, it makes people understand that control, but it slows people down. Like if you just hand somebody a dumbbell and say, let's do some overhead pressing, you know, a lot of people, that's, that's how they get hurt because they're, they're not taking it seriously and they're just throwing the weight up there and next thing you know, their shoulders bugging them. But with, the, with that knuckle press, so and if, if you're trying to picture this listening in, picture that sandbag, you're going to flip it up and balance it on both knuckles. And then it's almost like you're punching the bag over your head. Um, that will make you slow down, right? It's going to make you have to earn that stability and that strength the way you should versus just kind of throwing a dumbbell up and down over your head. Oh, yeah. And because the weight is rigid on a dumbbell, your body can overcompensate and, and give yourself leverage. I mean, we always want to remember this. Our body will do its best to, try, to take the road or path of least resistance. So like sometimes we see when someone does a chest press, they kind of shift in the opposite direction of the weight that's going up versus staying leveled, bracing their core, squeezing the glutes, going back into that posterior chain, and then pressing from the lats to get the weight up and using your deltoids or your shoulder muscles at the top end versus at the bottom where the weight is at its most dense. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So let's, I have a couple favorites, I would say, with, with my sandbag that I try and implement with, with as many clients as I, I, I seem, uh, think would benefit from them. Um, so I, I just wanted to kind of see, do you have, I know we've, we've talked a few already, but maybe either some go-to exercises that you think, if, hey, if you own a sandbag, let's do this exercise, or maybe how the sandbag can make an exercise you're already doing even better. I'll just kind of oh, yeah. here. And I, I have a couple too that I want to share, but I want to see what you have first. Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a huge proponent in simplicity. And uh, the, my three go-tos are the sandbag deadlift with your hands neutral. And that means both knuckles are facing each other. Thumbs are facing forward. Uh, a bent row where your body is at close to a, as close as you can get comfortably to a 90 degrees. Knees are soft. The body is loaded in the hamstrings. And your core has to brace to keep you in that position the whole time. And the high pull. And that's where you're combining both the row and the deadlift as one movement. You're accelerating the weight up and decelerating it down soft. So you're making sure that it comes back down really fast, but lightly touches your toes. And then it comes up back up really fast and then right back down lightly to your toes. Those are my three go-tos. And you, you can definitely have a sound training routine, including those three, just about every day. Absolutely. Yeah. Those are three amazing exercises and total body getting a little bit of everything. 
one one thing so you you brought up um actually with the row and the deadlift one thing so if, if you have a bag and you know if you've never done those exercises definitely start throwing them into your routine regularly uh one one thing i wanted to throw out there that i love teaching people to kind of get more stable in those drills especially the uh deadlift and with the row is um so we have all these handles on the sandbag use them to your advantage so you're going to just like you said you'll you'll grab that neutral grip um, so the handles are parallel to each other. And what you're going to do is, so let's say you're, you're deadlifting to start. So you have the bag on the ground, on your, on your feet or between your feet. And before you even lift that bag up, you're going to try and rip the bag in half. So you're going to take those handles and, and rip them apart. When you do that, you're going to notice your, your shoulders are going to engage, your core is going to engage. Um, you're going to be way more stable. And then you stand up in that position and, and you keep thinking about ripping those handles apart that little cue there is going to make your deadlift way more solid. Your shoulder is going to be packed. It's going to be exactly where it needs to be. And you're going to perform a better deadlift. Same thing for the row, right? Think about trying to rip those handles apart as you do your row. And this is a great way. It's going to make it a little bit more challenging too, which is always great, right? Even there's, there's lots of ways to make an exercise harder other than adding more weight, right? You can always do that. But what if you, oh, yeah. you have one sandbag maybe in your garage and you can't necessarily add more weight. Maybe it's, it's as much as it'll go, but doing a drill like this, where you're going to rip those handles apart, then do your row is going to make it significantly harder, but at the same time, better, you're going to be way more stable with it. So I just wanted to throw that in there that I love that, that coaching cue of trying to rip those handles apart on some of those that like, the and, let, and let me piggyback on that one too. So let's say you also, uh, you don't have one of those and you, you have one of these makeshift, uh, sandbags or you picked up uh, a pancake and if, for those of you that don't know what a pancake is it's a disc uh, it's a disc looking poly polyester i guess neoprene uh filled mm -hmm. with sand as well and it's semi-elastic if you do the same technique which is pinch the bag and even your makeshift bag grabbing the bags and pulling them apart you can have a similar effect to what uh mike just described but it will also have a little bit of a difference again. Uh, but it's pretty similar, same effect, and that's without having to go get anything new. Your, yeah. Any sandbag that you can put both hands on, pinch, and pull apart, those, those, it still works as well. Absolutely, yeah. Um, one other exercise I wanted to throw in there that I absolutely love, and I use it with most of my clients, and that's the, uh, the, the sandbag, and I'm, there's probably a better name for it, but the, uh, the plank drag. So we're going to be in a uh, push-up plank. So push-up position, basically the sandbag is going to be off to your side. So say it's off to your left side, your right hand is going to kind of thread the needle and reach under your body and grab the side of the bag and then slowly drag it underneath your body. And then you drag it all the way to your right side. And then your left hand is going to reach under to your right side and drag it back. And, and I can post a video in the show notes too, but I love this exercise for so many reasons, right? It's, it's giving us un, an unbelievable core challenge where you're, you're having to take an arm off the floor, which, you know, that alone can be a challenge for some people. You're trying to do it without losing stability. So your hips, and this is the hard part, your hips should be pointing uh, towards the floor the entire time. So you're not just posting up on the down arm and then turning your hips up into the air and dragging it across. You're trying to make it look like if somebody was just looking at you from the waist down, it would look like you were just holding a push-up position and nothing else was going on. And then you just slowly drag this bag across for uh, just an awesome core challenge. So I, I'll put a video of that one uh, as well, just because I think that's, uh, that's probably one of my favorite exercises to get, get people going with.
Uh, that's because everybody loves to feel their core work. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it just teaches people that uh, control and you can create strength by dragging that bag without your body being affected by it. And that's the whole point of core strength is your core can stay stable and your arms and legs can do whatever they need to do. So this is a great way to teach, teach that type of, of movement there. So let's, um, let's get into what are some other unconventional tools that you're using for your training programs? So uh, a lot of the, a lot of the, uh, the, the fusion fit crew use bags, bells, uh, which is kettlebells. And we also use an, another tool called the steel mace. And now if you don't have never heard of a steel mace, what the steel mace kind of looks like is a really long stick with a round ball on the end. And what that does is that has weight that is on only on one side. Uh, but it's, what's interesting is the movements that you do with the sandbag, quite honestly, and this is going to blow your mind, you can do with almost any other tool. You can replicate just about every single movement you do with a sandbag with all of those tools. But what the great thing about using these other tools is, is they start to give you a different way uh, or feedback in your body, even though it's the same movement, but with a different tool. Absolutely. Yeah. And as you're saying that, um, I'm picturing... Um you know, a sandbag and a, and a very similar steel mace movement of a, like a squat. And um, where we, with a steel mace, we can hold that out in front of us and uh, have the ball side up and just working on stabilizing that ball so we're balancing it and, and squatting down, holding that position. And again, it makes you kind of earn that squat position and, and really show that stability and control as you descend into a squat and then stand back up all while holding that steel mace out in front of you. Um, and the same thing, on the, kind of on the flip side with the sandbag, we can do a similar movement where you have that sandbag grabbing it on the sides of the bag so it's long ways down. And as you squat down, you reach that bag forward and do kind of a press to, to again, increase stability. It actually forces you to squat a little bit better. And then, um, so it's, it's that same, it, they're both squats. They're both very similar, but you get different feel. One, you really have to earn that stability. The other one is almost helping you with stability. So it's, it's kind of cool how we can use these different tools, same exercise, but totally different feedback from it. Yeah. And the base movements can come from something as a simple tool, like the sandbag. And you're just reteaching and relearning your body how to react. And then when you get a tool, like even the steel mace, which leads into some of that rigidity, rigid weight I was talking about, it becomes a better biofeedback into your body when you're working. And like you said, you get nice and deeper into the squat. Uh, sometimes I hear some of the people say that, well, my shoulders burn, but my squat looks so much better. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's, and, and that's uh, hopefully the point that we're, a lot of what we're trying to make here is we're using these tools to clean up movement, right? We're just talking about a couple tools here and whatever piece of equipment that does this for you, make it about cleaning up that movement versus just trying to make your body tired. And, you know, we know what road that leads to of just fatiguing yourself out all the time and, and, uh, you know, actually getting hurt and burn out and all that good stuff. So, uh, that's, that's what we try and use these tools for is to get you moving better. So you can, you can train harder and, and you can race better. Agreed. Um, I totally agree with you. 
one other one other quick thing. So we're we're talking about things, and you know, these pieces of equipment they they cost money, and uh, depending on the the brands and the weights that you need and things like that, it, it can get kind of expensive. Uh, but before we start recording, you were talking about kind of a a, a poor man's version of a TRX. So uh, oh yes, <laughs> so let's let's talk about you know you can get creative. Now we're talking. Yeah, you know, we mentioned Ultimate Sandbag and, and, you know, the Steel Mace. And, yeah, for sure, if you have some money to spend, those are great tools you can you can invest in. And well, so, worth it. But you can also get creative. So let's, let's yeah. talk about how you got creative. Oh, man, poor man's TRX. I love it. <laughs> well, one of the main things that we see in a lot of, in a lot of our races is uh, having to do with ropes, right? You have a rope climb. You have the Hercoise with the rope. Uh, you go with something like an obstacle, like uh, the Mount Olympus, which has a chain, uh, obviously, the chain is not the rope, but it has the same grip context. You have uh, the rope in the multi-rig. Let's just say a gripping the rope is something that we see frequently. Well, uh, suspension tra training tools like the TRX, and then there's a bunch out there, and they can range from anywhere from you know uh, $99 upwards to 200 And you know, if you find it cheaper than $99, you guys are getting the steal of a deal. Jump on it like a fat kid on a cupcake. But one thing you want to uh, – where I came up with this was I went to Home Depot, and uh, I was like – I'm looking at this manila rope one inch. I'm like, you know, I can do something with this. And all I did was get a 25-foot rope. I taped the ends. Well, I burned it, and I taped it so that way it wouldn't fray up on me. And I double looped it, and I'll, say, I'll, I'll send you a picture to share with everybody. So if you guys want to go ahead and get one of these, it's an easy fix. It's an easy make. And, oh, my gosh, you guys will get so much use out of this. And I looped it over a pull-up bar, and it became my suspension trainer. And we're doing all of the same movements that we would normally do with a regular TRX training handle, with the exception of we cannot do a lot of the foot strap stuff. But that's okay because we're focusing more on the grip, which is more important in a lot of our obstacles. I don't know a lot of you guys are climbing with your feet. If you are, send me a video. I'd love to see that. <laughs> <laughs> if you're doing all these obstacles like the rings and the rope, rope climb with just your feet and no hands, I want to see that badly. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm going to start looking in, into hiring you. <laughs> but we do a lot of grip training and this actually ended up becoming a regular tool around fusion fit for the crew to use yeah i, I think that that's super creative simple and and something that anybody can really do and and not break the bank with something like that and you know if you really wanted the handles i'm i'm sure you can find a way to basically tie loops in the end and and then you have handles or you can just grab the rope and and do it that way too. So yeah, if you send me a, a picture, I'll put it in the uh, show notes for this episode. So everybody can check it out and, you know, maybe get a little creative and, and come up with their own suspension trainer at home. So, uh, finishing up here, I know, again, we briefly, we talked, uh, before we started recording and I know we've talked a lot about, uh, some, some, uh, exercises that maybe we did a great job explaining it, but I know video is always the best best route. So I'm going to post a couple of videos that I talked about, but you mentioned that you'd be willing to uh, kind of put a couple of things together, maybe a sandbag workout or uh, something to help people get going with something like that. Is that correct? You betcha. I'm going to shoot you guys 
the prime set, which is what we do every day at Fusion Fit, and this is to prepare our bodies for any work that we're about to do. And then I'm also going to give you uh, the Joda, and that's uh, Coach Joe's uh, favorite sandbag training uh, workout that gets me ready for instability training. Oh, my gosh. This one is a leg burner. And if you're not sweating at the end of this, you are cheating yourself. Awesome. Well, we will look forward to that. So again, we'll put it in the show notes for this episode. Also, we'll put some links. If you don't have a sandbag, I'll put a couple different places that you can get them, including um, the ultimate sandbags like we've talked about earlier, but I'll put some other ones in there so you can chop around and see what seems to uh, work for you the best. But um, thanks so much for coming on, sharing all this info. I know our listeners are going to get a ton out of this and hopefully some great workout ideas. Well, thank you, Mike. Uh, thank you, OCR Underground. Thank all of you guys for listening. It's a pleasure. I love being available for all of you guys, and I'm available for any opportunities and uh, any assistance you need. I mean, I'm here to help and build better human beings. It started with me, and it's working its way out. Awesome. And I will, I'll put your website and, and uh, some Facebook info so people can reach out to you if they have any questions or, or want to learn more about you. Aroo! All right, we'll see you next time. Bye, guys. All right, well, that's going to do it for episode 53 of the OCR Underground Show. Big thanks to SGX coach Joseph Bautista for sharing his insights and training. Um, if you want to check out the show notes for anything we mentioned in the interview, uh, anything on genetics, some of those resources, the study in there, uh, our sponsors, all that great stuff, head over to the show notes at www.ocrunderground.com slash episode dash 53. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so you get all the latest episodes. We have some great ones coming out that uh, I have recorded. I just need to get edited and I know you guys are going to love those ones. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes. And finally, if you need any help with your training, we have some great programs and products to help you out. Just head on over to the website at ocrunderground.com products and you can check out some of the things we have there to help you uh, as well as a new mentorship that will be coming soon. Uh, to really help you dial in your training, plan out for you in advance, and, and really just uh, dial in everything so you're staying injury-free and maximizing your performance. So stay tuned for more info on that. But until next time, keep training smarter.